So welcome everybody. Um, I'm gonna introduce Calvin. I met Calvin uh, way back in 1971 uh, at the Prosperos. Prosperos is a school of the science of being. And Calvin is a, an expression of the energy and spontaneity of being, at least that's the way I've experienced him. Calvin does many things in many places. He teaches the main classes of the Prosperos, as well as seminars and workshops in Arizona, California, Michigan, Oregon, Washington State. Translation is a process for discovering the truth without anything, and RHS is a process that does the same, but dealing with emotions. Also, Calvin is teaching a preparatory mentoring program for those interested in becoming professional prosperous mentors. He also creates personalized live coaching packages that enable students greater access to their skills and talents. So now I bring on view or rather Calvin will come on view. Hello, Calvin. Don't forget, you got to unmute yourself. All right, I think there I've done that. <laughs> Aloha, everyone. Welcome to, uh, to everyone being here today. And for the, those of you who will be listening to, these, uh, to this podcast later, I am excited uh, about today's uh, speaker because of his involvement with the Prosperos uh, and for the period of time that he has been uh, with the Prosperos. Uh, is a key, um, one of the key factors in uh, the formation and how the school is being run at this time. And so to have an opportunity to introduce this individual to you, I think is very important. So with that, I uh, bring to you uh, William Finney. William, come aboard. Hello, everybody. Good to see you. Yeah, especially good to see some old friends. Uh, David, I hope you're doing well. You look great. And uh, everybody else, I mean, uh, it's really great to be here. Thanks. Oh, my goodness. Uh, William, uh, I know that you are um, um, in the Maryland, um, D.C. area uh, now, but uh, your um, journey to get there. Uh, let's begin with where you grew up <laughs> and uh, where you were born. Uh, yeah, sure. Well, I grew up in um, a middling-sized town in Pennsylvania called Scranton. Mm -hmm. uh, I share that uh, <clears throat> uh, what's the right word? Well, that experience, I guess, with uh, our current president. And, um, and like our current president, I had the good sense to get out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> and, um, 
One of the key factors for getting me out of Scranton, Pennsylvania, actually was Ben Gilberti, who came to town and gave some, uh, he, he was doing some road running. Now, taught, uh, 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 before you go further, um, when you say road running, this is a term used for individuals that do classes across the uh, country or whatever? Yes. Okay. Uh, for the Prosperos. So yes. it's a Prospero term for people that, uh, that uh, travel and do classes. And we have also um, uh, David Wyman who had done that for a while. But, that, but uh, getting back to your story. Um, so you were in Scranton, Pennsylvania and then uh, Ben uh, came to town? Well, yeah, before Ben came to town, Thane came to town. And I, oh. I believe actually uh, it was the previous November and uh, November 73, um, I believe is the only time that Thane, according to our records, had ever visited Scranton, Pennsylvania, and he never went back again. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, but, he had uh, to get you, that was all. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, apparently that was enough um but uh, there was a group there you see there was a group that had uh, gathered um uh, there was a chiropractor by the name of dr Provel and his wife uh the two of them famously at each other's throats but anyway <laughs> friend friend Provel ma managed to get a study group together and one of my high school classmates brought me to the study group and i listened to thane on on audio tapes. And then I thought, well, okay, you know, he's coming to town. Let's go see, let's go see the man in person. So I did. And, um, you know, that was the beginning for me with my journey, uh, the spiritual path that has taken me to where we are now. Uh -huh. Do you really need to know any more about Scranton? Um, uh, I'm just curious about your, your friend who, uh, who taught you into uh, going to this and how did they find out about it? Okay, so Steve uh, found out about it because he lived next door to a woman by the name of Jean McDonald. Oh, yeah. And Jean, Jean McDonald, um, you know, she had a family, but she was a Prospero student with a couple of other people of her age, her generation, which is my mother's generation. Uh -huh. right? uh -huh. um, and um, uh, anyway, so Jean and her kids got involved and that got Steve involved. And, um, and this is like, I think a, a really important, this has been a, a reiteration of a lesson that I've learned over and over and over again. Um, and that is that uh, when I was going to high school, um, Steve Scully was the, in the crowd that I avoided as much as I possibly could. Um, he was somebody that I didn't get along with and he didn't think that I was anybody very interesting. <laughs> so anyway, uh, a year out of high school, um, because of connections in my family, I got a county job for the summer. And um, who is the supervisor on my county job but Steve? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, living up to that old adage that if you want to create a community, um, give people tasks to work on together. Yes. He and I got to know each other and uh, we'd be in the middle of a conversation about something and he would say something along the lines of, 
typical mortal dimensional viewpoint. <laughs> and I would look at him and I would say, what are you talking about? <laughs> and this is very interesting because when I came to the Prosperos in the um, uh, late 60s, early 70s, I came and everyone was older. It was only a few years later when all of a sudden this migration from all over the uh, United States of young people flooded it that I said, my goodness, what has happened? <laughs> I remember sitting back and, and, um, and thinking, be careful what you wish for, because uh. I was thinking, you know, I would really like to have some young people here uh, besides myself. I think that the youngest people that I knew at that time was um, Carol Carter and uh, Mary Ridley and uh, um, um, Larry Cigarella, who were all uh, anywhere between eight to 10 years older than myself, and they were considered some of the younger ones. So it's not the information, but it's the calling, I think, that brings people to the school. Would you say that? Oh, I definitely agree, Calvin. I was absolutely thirsty, mm -hmm. you know? It was it was the it was the right moment at the right time that the teacher showed up and boom that was it. Uh, so, but then you see the way that it happens. First of all, I've noticed that great things happen to me through the agency of people that I don't like, mm -hmm. wow. or that or that don't get along with me. Hmm. Which is, I mean, it's a it's a, it's a way of reminding yourself that you should never um, exclude people from your life. Hmm. Uh, because you don't get along with them. Uh, you, yeah. you, if, if you don't get along with them, you, you do what you can to coexist and, uh, you know, continue along your path because you don't know uh, what good is going to come through that person. Right. Uh, that's been my experience on several occasions where uh, it has been the person that I didn't really, you know, I wouldn't hang out with this person. <laughs> then they turn around and like one of the, in, in Hawaii, it turned out that somebody like that got me a great job. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. It's, that's, I think a really important part of everything we do is the people that we meet. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you don't want to discount ever um, the influence that takes place between you and uh other people in just casual conversations. So it's interesting the, uh, well, what is it that you're talking about in casual conversation? <laughs> uh, so anyway, this was the trajectory that had then uh, catapulted you out of Scranton. And where did you end up then? Uh, I ended up in an apartment living with Hugh John Malanafi and Ben Gilberti. Um, and from there, later on to other living arrangements in Southern California in Santa Monica. And I was uh, working at the Prospero's Server Center in Santa Monica. I see. Uh -huh. And uh, how did you come about uh, uh, being in that pairing with Hugh John and, uh, and uh, Ben Gilberti? Um, I begged Ben for a place to stay. And there said, you go. <laughs> 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 okay, we can we can get you started here, kid. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, <something>. okay. <laughs> and I I'm telling this Ben. I'm telling this Ben according to my memory. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, and that's the exciting thing. So again, it is the relationships that we uh, that we create that create some of the uh, changes and excitement in that. So um, you took um, the master classes, translation in RHS, and several others in Santa Monica. Is that correct? Oh yeah, I took them all. I mean, I got as many as I could. Uh -huh. I did everything I could. I jumped in and volunteered at the service center whenever there was a class that I could pay for. I, I paid mm -hmm. for it and I took it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, you know, I got uh, into counseling, which I desperately needed, mm -hmm. um, and didn't realize it, but uh, until I was in it, <laughs> that's usually <laughs> and, the case. <laughs> yeah, and then I then I uh, uh, got involved with the dynamic arts lab, and I studied with Marianne Bell, as you as you yes. know. Yeah. Yes, I always tell uh, individuals that uh, Marion is up there as part of my top three mentors, yeah. only because within the the um, work with music and that, so many memories would be triggered in that. Mm -hmm. And there were I had one or two breakdowns in that, and she was patient enough to wait. Yeah, and then at the end she'd go. And now again. <laughs> so, uh, I, I really love that about her. Um, yes, when you say that you jumped in uh, all uh, with all feats and that, I remember that you even took the uh, personal enrichment class that I was giving back then uh, and that. And uh, it was funny, I think... Um, a few years later, we were talking about what you remembered uh, most out of that class. And uh, <laughs> let me see if you remember what I remember. What do you remember out of that? <laughs> well, there's so much, but I, what, I, what strikes me or what the, the, the fondest memory I have actually is you taking me, you know, uh, not literally, but figuratively by the hand up to, I think it was a Nordstrom in Century City and um, taking me to, to, the, uh, to the Clinique uh, cosmetics counter and getting me to uh, load up on a bar of soap that cost $14 and a, <laughs> and a, a jug of uh, a little bottle of uh, clarifying lotion um, that was, you know, these are the things that were tailored to my skin. And I, I, I looked at you and I said, why am I paying $14 for this bar of soap? <laughs> and you said, you said, well, you know, you're not going to use the soap in the shower every day. You just use it for your face. It'll last you a long time. And so, so that convinced my Cancerian elements that it was okay to buy the $14 bar of soap. Um, but, you know, it was, all, it was about grooming and it was about um, taking care of your uh, physique, how you present to the world. Um, I mean, those are the things I remember. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a, uh, a, a nod to taking care of yourself so that you're able to take care of someone else. Yeah. Put on your mask first before you put yeah. on someone else. <laughs> and so after that period, it seems as though then uh, that you decided that you were going to do, I guess, a little road running or something. Because in 1978, I think you were in Denver. Could, could you tell us a little about that? Yeah, I met somebody. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 
I was at the 1978 uh, Prospero's Assembly, which was at the Del Coronado Hotel in San Diego. Mm-hmm. It was an amazing event. <clears throat> and, I, and I met an amazing person there, um, walking on the beach, and we had romantic moments. It was lovely. And that person was Ann Bolin. Oh. Ah. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> and uh, and ended our, she had to go back to Colorado. She gave me a card on it and said, um, here is my toll-free number. Oh, toll-free number. <laughs> <laughs> because she was, she was working for an oil company and uh, they had a toll-free number that uh-huh. people could call. And so she gave me that. <laughs> because remember in those days, it was pre-cell phones. So you oh, had yeah. to actually pay long distance charges if you yes. wanted to talk to somebody. Yeah. So uh, that was the beginning. And then uh, that was July. And by September, I had actually moved out there. So that was how I, I got to Colorado. Well, there you go. Again, relationships. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing uh, with some individuals, it's the love interest that uh, might be the thing that will initially bring them in so, <laughs> or, yeah. or get them about at that point. So while you were in uh, Denver at that point, I, I, I think it's interesting because I think uh, Ben and a few others were there at that time. Uh, do you remember who that might have been? Well, that's the interesting thing, Kelvin. Um uh ben was there and also zoe robinson was there in uh-huh. those days she was uh, pat hartman but uh zoe robinson was in color well she was in denver at that point mm-hmm. um i think uh suzanne had moved on but david weinman was still there very much involved and um uh, I remember Thane saying at one point to, to, to a group of us, he said, you know, Denver is the crucible. It's a very, it's a very important city for these studies, especially because of Emma Curtis Hopkins' Denver class. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, that was 78. And uh, um, it, it, what's really interesting, I'll just take a digression for a moment to tell you that um, uh, Zoe moved on to Colorado Springs, and then from there she moved to Hawaii. And then, of course, I stayed on in Colorado, and then I moved to Hawaii. So we have a kind of running joke about me following her around. <laughs> <laughs> well, she is an attractive young lady, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it was never anything like that, but, uh, you know, one has, one, one has no way of controlling one's thoughts, does one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was it's, here for him, it, but um... yeah, it's it's interesting because the that was a de- a major department uh, for Thane, uh, who had been on the mainland for so long that he had gone to the um, uh, to uh, Hawaii and had started the curacy. And it's interesting because it seemed to uh, to herald a new chapter in where the Prosperos were was going to go. Uh, it also kind of culminated in in the uh, young people that we had and the energy that was at the cur- curacy. Um, could you uh, t- 
talk about the, the curacy and maybe some of the individuals that were there and your experience there? Yeah, if you don't mind, I'll, <clears throat> I'll stay in Denver for a few minutes before we okay. go on to Hawaii because sure. there's, you can't really give it short shrift. There was a very important group uh, in, in Denver and we all worked really hard to uh, try to, like when Thane was coming to town, to try to create the right kind of promotion and you know provide this provide the right hotels and all that stuff. And um, during the time I was there, it was uh, seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, it, that that group just kept on going. And there were you know there were changes. There were, uh, in fact, in 1980, Thane gave the Enhanced Crown Mysteries class in Denver for 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 the very reason that there was important work that was going on there. Um, so uh, it, it was a it was a really important place to go, and it and of course it has the Rocky Mountains, which are so magnificent. Uh, another person in that group was Richard Hartnett, who now is uh, I think he, yeah he still is in Colorado, right? Mm -hmm. So um, yes, you know quite a bit after I was there. Um, so yeah, there is this kind of trajectory that all of the, 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 the forks that you have in the path, um, they all have to do with answering whatever is. And um, I had put in my application to uh, be part of the, the, what was at the time in 1975, the rectory staff. I had put in my application and had been interviewed about that in 1975. And um, Now that was know, in what city? Uh, in 1975, I was still in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And at that time, it was decided that it was not the right time for me to go there um, for various reasons, mostly having to do with the fact that my state of mind was not suitable or needed to be done. And it's, it's, these decisions were always made based on the context of who's, who is a part of the larger group, what is the aim, and does this person fit with that? And so... Um, it was 10 years before that invitation was, uh, was uh, uh, issued to me again. Uh, so it was in 1985 that Thane uh, uh, said, maybe it's time for you to come now. And uh, one thing that I note about it is that I was living in Denver. I wasn't doing too well in terms of financially. My finances were, you know, enough to make, enough to get by every month. But um, Every month, uh, whenever I could, I would send a tithe to uh, the Prosperos, to Thane in Hawaii. And um, uh, <laughs> it was tiny amounts of money, Calvin. It was $25 or $36 or something like that. It was tiny amounts of money. But what was amazing was that I was getting these incredible... Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you call them, insights or, uh, um, you know, there, I could absolutely sense these spiritual benefits coming to me. Yes. And I, I wrote a note to Thane and I said, I hope you're getting as much out of these little tithes as I am. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, was, it was right after that that, the, that he called me and you'll, you'll appreciate this. I got a telephone call at two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, saying, you know, 
<laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you all these things, and you know, maybe you're ready to come and blah, blah, blah. And so that was, again, uh, I think in January, February, and then again in September, I was, uh, I was in the islands. Yeah, yeah. And it's, again, because you could see the value. And that is so important to understand the value of something and and being able to give to that value because that's when the benefits happen. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, and oh. you, you, you give first. Yeah. Mm. You don't wait around for people to tell you. You don't wait around. You give first to whatever yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Um, so uh, you were in Hawaii, and um, d- during that time was I. I, uh, I don't know how many years it was after that, but then uh, Thane did pass while you were in Hawaii. Uh, and yes, th- could you say a, l- a little bit about um, the mood or the change or the uh, commitment that you had at that point? Well, that was, uh, he passed in 1989, passed on, moved on to the next uh, level of consciousness or wherever it is he's gone to. Uh, I'm kind of curious about tracking that down, but that's a separate, <laughs> that's a separate subject. Um, yeah, so, so I arrived in 1985 and it was several years. I worked there at the, uh, at the what was then called the Curacy. Yes. Uh, that operation went through different phases. There was uh, the Punalu'u, which was a school, Ontological Learning Center of the Pacific. And then, um, you know, because of Thane's health, he moved to the Big Island. And uh, um, then it became uh, an ashram. So there was a very short period. It was, he called it an ashram uh, on Hualalai. And uh, then uh, he moved over to Loloa Drive, and that was called the Curacy. And it you have to look up the word curate, you know, to understand the difference between these things. Um, what are the different functions that are going on? And uh, it was basically a way of saying that his active teaching career was pretty much over. And he was um, working on his legacy and uh, just trying to do his best to keep getting the message out as, as long as he could. So, um, the crew there was, first of all, Konala Bradley, who was Thane's aide, who was a remarkable young man, just a gorgeous human being. Um, and, uh, and when I arrived, uh, Paul Tanswell was there. And <clears throat> one of the interesting things about Paul Tanswell is the guy had amazing energy. He would go down the hill every day and go to work in a print shop, and he would work for eight hours in a print shop. And then he would come back up the hill, park the car, and go in and do a whole bunch of transcribing for Thane until like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And I don't know where the guy got the energy, but he's he's amazing, an amazing guy. And he showed me the ropes. He, you know, showed me around, explained the different things, the roles that needed to be done. Uh, And then later on, Richard Burns showed up. He he, he came as a student um, to work with Thane on astrology. And, uh, and other people came in and out, but those were the three that I, mo- I mainly worked with at that time. Mm-hmm. 
It is um, interesting that you say that you work with Paul and he showed you around because I think that's one of the old tenets that sometimes we forget is that before you pass on to another job uh, in the Prosperos, you had to replace yourself. <laughs> and I think that, that that idea of passing on tools and skills and making sure that those tools and skills are in place with whoever is coming after you so that you can then go on to whatever else is, is necessary is very, very key to, um, to the education within our school. Yeah, so there were things that happened after that where um, uh, basically Thane got to the point where he needed uh, uh, person 24-hour care. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dr. Velma Scott was, uh, and, and Barbara Hill were both um, instrumental in making sure that he had the care that he needed. They moved him over to the Hilo side and eventually um, he was moved into a life care center there in Hilo. I, I have a wonderful memory of sitting out on this was a little uh, public area out in the sun, and uh, Paul Tansel and I were there visiting with him and just sitting around a table talking about things when, um, when a woman showed up. Okay, Ben, I'm not going to remember this woman's name. She's from, or yes, yes, I am. But anyway, she's from Denver. And whenever we would call her to say, you know, Thane's coming to town, do you want to come to a meeting? Or we're having an open meeting, you know, she, she would, you know, probably pretty much just, uh, shine us on and not show up, except on occasion she'd show up when Thane was in town. Uh, oh, her name is on the edge of my consciousness. So anyway, we're sitting at this table and this, um, this, in my view, lackluster student from Denver shows up and she walks up to the table and uh, Thane greets her, you know, as he, he, in every circumstance, no matter what his state of mind, he was a super professional diplomatic individual, he gave her a big smile. He said, oh, how are you, dear? You know, or whatever it was. And she looked at him and she raised her arms and she said, Lazarus, awake. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and and, and Thane looked at her and then he kind of got a fuzzy look on his face and he he looked at Paul and he looked at me. <laughs> and, um, and, and then he made his farewells and went back inside. So. <laughs> you got every kind of student, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the, the 2000s, I guess beginning with January, um, you found yourself moving to Maryland, but I think, uh, but you stayed on, you stayed on in Hawaii for a, a long time after that, because I remember visiting you uh, yeah, in, yeah. Uh, uh, on the big island at that. Matter of fact, we went to see a community theater uh, program of uh, yeah. Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, which I thought was so funny because it was being played by local Hawaiians. So it was, it was, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I love musical theater because it just really takes you out of yourself into a, a larger realm of being. So that was wonderful. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but also, I so, think while you were on, on uh, in Hawaii, didn't you also go to, to Paris at one point? 
Yeah, that's a great story. Uh, first of all, I think I should say something about the passing of Thane. Mm, yes. Um, the day that he passed, I was sitting because we had one of the one of the practices that we had at the curacy was having a sunset meditation every day. You you did your day's work. You had your agenda meeting in the morning. You did your day's work, and then you had a wrap up in the evening. And so we had on the lanai, which was west facing. You could see the sun go down. And we would sit out there and, of course, uh, with our drinks and uh, sit and watch the sun go down and, and have a meditation with Thane uh, as, as the sun went down. Well, I was uh, sitting on the west facing patio of another place because Thane was in uh, Hilo. And uh, I think I might have gotten word that day that he had, he had passed on. It was in July. and. Uh, I was there with my, my then girlfriend and we we're sitting there and we had this, uh, I had I had to drink with her and I was saying, okay, well, you know, here's the thing. And we clinked our glasses. And I'm honest to God, I'm not giving any bullshit here. There was a meteor that shot across the sky for about three seconds, wow. you know, right over where the sun was going down. There was this meteor and I thought to myself, okay, <laughs> Aloha. Aloha. <laughs> and I think they did the uh, they did the memorial service. Uh, I wasn't there because I had to be at uh, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory for my job. But uh, when the uh, Voyager spacecraft, when Voyager One went past the orbit of Neptune and left the solar system, that's when. The, the memorial service for Thane took place in, in Hawaii, which I thought was very suitable. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, then uh, I stayed there. I stayed, I got a job at the local newspaper. Um, and that was the one I told you where the person that I didn't like got me the job. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I was working for a publication called the Space, Space Calendar, which uh, took me to different places. Uh, uh, I saw a shuttle launch and all these other things. And that was all during the 90s. Um, you know, during the 90s, I was there. I mean, we were, we were having some Prospero's activities on the Big Island. And uh, I would go over to uh, Oahu and visit with uh, uh, Pat, who got married and was called, then was called Pat Waterholter. Um, and uh, so, uh, and then, you know, the thing is that, um, people began to explore all sorts of different paths. I mean, Pat was doing really good work with women's groups. She would get groups of women together to discuss, I think it began with women who run, run, women who run with the wolves. Yes. That was the first one I think she did. And then it went on from there. Um, and so, you know, you do what you do in these kind of schools, which is you, you make sure that you have, that your primary purpose is, is to pursue your spiritual path to the best of your ability and then your secondary purpose is to make sure you have enough money that you don't become a burden to people yes. so you need to be able to pay the bills and that's what i did during those years and in 1975 so i'll jump into this now the question you, you asked me a minute ago <clears throat> um this i think really is kind of interesting um i had a kind of I don't know, a seizure or something. I don't know how to describe it. But I noticed, I began to notice that, um, all right, so let's set this up. You need to understand that when you do work with your memories, because we do talk about memory work in the Prosperos, 
You talk about ontogenetic memories. They have to do with things that you remember because you grew up in a certain place. But there's also phylogenetic memory. And that has to do with the genetic history that you bear from where you came. And what I noticed was that I was always picking up items from places like the French bakery. And if I wanted wine, I got French wine. And I didn't know anything about French. I took German in high school, right? So, but I noticed this and I thought, well, okay, let's see, maybe I should try this French class because there was a local person who, you know, had a kind of, people would get together and they were doing a, a series of uh, French videos called French in Action. And um, the, uh, the episode was something about, you know, this guy uh, is going to see the different sites in Paris and it shows these different, uh, video shows different places in Paris. Um, like a long shot of uh, you know one of the big buildings or beautiful bridges or whatever you have, something inside of me just exploded. It was like, I have to go there. I, I don't know why. I just have to go there. And uh, that was in February. Uh, I didn't have the means. <laughs> but in August that year, I was in Paris walking around. Um, I think Mike Santa had a similar thing at one point, mm -hmm. but uh, I don't know how he had his, but mine was, that was the way mine worked out. And then, um, uh, I, and it was part of something else that was going on because I, I, in fact, just looked at my notebooks from that period. I had, there was so much stuff coming through because then I got back from Paris and then I was reading Victor Hugo because Victor Hugo is one of the greatest French authors. And I got introduced by, to a, uh, uh, one of the great symbolists of the, the uh, early 20th century in French literature called Paul Valéry, and just found myself falling in love uh, with these guys. So I've got a whole notebook full of this stuff. I don't know what I'm ever going to do with it, but uh, yeah, it was a real explosion. And um, then I went back in 97 as well. And eventually, I decided to get into a French program at the University of Maryland, and that's why uh, that's why I ended up here. Mm -hmm. Okay, and um, you then took an another uh, trip to Paris, did you not? Mm. Well, that was part of the program at at Maryland, and this was my this was my. Uh, I guess, uh, uh, ulterior motives, but, you know, to going to that program was that I knew that I could, I could get them to put me into a program at Maryland for study abroad, uh -huh. which meant that I got to stay there for a year, which was pretty cool. Um, and I was in Nice. I, I, I stayed in Nice uh, with a group of people from the University of Maryland. I mean, we each had our own, we had, each had our own digs. I had a very nice apartment uh, not too far from the, uh, Boulevard des Anglais, which runs along the beach there. Um, and so it was quite, uh, quite an experience. It's, I think, I guess the point of all this is that um, life prepares these things for us. Uh, that these, these experiences that uh, shake up what we've become and open the, the way for us to incorporate some other kind of information or some other kind of understanding of life uh, 
that comes from, in this case, you know, living in another culture for, for 12 months, you know, learning how to speak that way, learning how, I mean, I can't tell you how totally isolated and alienated you can feel, even with a group around you, in a culture where you, you can go into the hardware store because you need to find an adapter for your lamp and you can't even tell them the kind of thing you're looking for. And you sound like a 12 year old or you sound like a three year old. He's a ga ga ga, boy, that is it. You know, and it's, you really feel bad, you know, until you meet somebody. And I met, in this case, I met Sophie Jama. And uh, Sophie Jama included me in her group of people, and she was my pal. And, um, uh, you know, we, we were ostensibly, we were supposed to teach each other languages like she would she would learn English from me and I would learn French from her um, but it ended up being so much more than that it was a very very important relationship for me it's basically a saved my sanity um, the point being of course when you go on these adventures life has a way of giving you what you need uh, but again that I had to give first because I had to go to the to the uh, whatever bureau it was in the school and say, yes, I am willing to put myself out as a partner to teach somebody English. Mm. So I had to give first before somebody was able to come into my life in that be, way. To be of service. Right. Yeah, yeah. And someone coming into your life, um, I, I think uh, that something that uh, sort of uh, mirrors or or is the satellite to all of this is uh, uh, someone that you are uh, living with at this point and who is that? Who's who am I living with? Uh huh. <laughs> I'm living with Alana Sophia Fanny. And how does this uh, French connection all uh, match up <laughs> with her? Ah <laughs> uh, well. Um... Actually, her we didn't know this, but her uh, her grandmother on her father's side is uh, comes from probably a place like the Loire Valley. It's uh, someplace in south uh, western France, I think. But um, no, I met Alana when I was at the University of Maryland, mm -hmm. uh, and she was uh, she used to wait for the same bus that I used to wait for before to get off campus. So. Um, uh, that's how we met. I, I actually somehow screwed up the courage to talk to her, uh, you know, because think about it. At that point, I was 47 years old and I was on a college campus where the average age was 22. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is, again, uh, being in proximity to individuals that that uh, something can take place. Uh, mm -hmm. And then to find the um, those things that uh, you have in common, such as the, uh, your interest in France and that. But um, to kind of sum up, because we we are at the end of this, and we do want to give others an uh, opportunity to to talk. Uh, the undercurrent of all this movement that we've been talking about uh, and, and to be able to have the courage to move out into new adventures, uh, what would you say uh, to that? What would you say 
to to someone when they're looking uh, when they're on their path and they're they right. come to these forks in the road what what would you say yeah. yes sometimes it's <clears throat> it's not clear at all mm -hmm. you know <clears throat> you, you you don't even know what to give right at that point so you, you can't say okay i'm going to give this because you don't know what it is that you need to give so there are these moments mm. where you, you don't it seems to be you just seem to be clueless <clears throat> but um, the fact is that that your innate beingness is never uh, far away, mm. and um, that's where you get your guidance. Mm -hmm. And that's the in some moments that's the only thing you can rely upon. That's why the the uh, the two meditations that we use, the O Christ meditation and the uh, 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 the transcendental interpretation of the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes these things can be very um, essential. They have been for me. They've been the things that have carried me through when everything looks like it's against you and it looks like you're just the biggest jerk that ever walked the earth. Mm. Uh, and um, you can't see your way to whatever the next thing is. You, these remind you of your innate self, which is not impeded by these things. Mm. And, it, and you're calling that forth. You're saying, okay, this is who I am. That, that's how these things can be resolved. Um, and also there is patience that, and, a, and a, an understanding that there are things way beyond everything you expect. There are things that you can never predict and, there, and that the world and, the, and life is so much larger than you can imagine uh, with your uh, current state of awareness. So there was something I did want to share, Calvin, if it's okay before we leave. Sure. And that is, um, it's a poem that I wrote. Don't cringe, everybody. I know as soon as you say, I wrote this poem. And people are like, oh, God, this. <laughs> not the poem. <laughs> but um, I wrote this uh, on hearing about the passing of one of my closest friends from Hawaii, Kelvin. I think you might have met her at the assembly. Her name is Luna Edwards. Yes. And she was a performing artist and uh, director and just a magnificent person. And she was also a quilter. She oh, made quilts, uh, beautiful, masterful quilts. And so anyway, um, when I was digesting the fact that she had now departed, this poem came to me. Between words, like elementary particles, so many images emerge, a curl of hair, a laugh, an eye that meets your eye, and energy enough to make you say, yes. Yes, a lovely eye and tireless hands whose work binds light like elementary particles in soft, sparkling cloth. Something between the threads, an eye, a hand that works in hearts invisibly, like blood that nourishes so many cells, made up, of course, of elementary particles that live and bind because of what's between them. What lives within this tissue? An image, a star, 
unimaginable touch, laughing joy that dances color, like something between, that dances love of what we find between words. Beautiful. Oh, thank you for that. William, thank you. What a great note to end on. Yes. We are the fabric of the universe that is woven together, each bring out our innate gifts. And it's so wonderful that we have this school that will help us draw out what that is. Well, this will sum up uh, our Sunday meeting uh, for this month. I will be back next month, but I won't be back on the 30th. I'll be back on the weekend before that, which will be the 24th. So I'm going to be really busy in October. The weekend, of course, before that will be the translation class, one of the master classes of the Prosperals. So I um, look forward to seeing any and all of you uh, for that, for one or both of those events. Uh, and with that, I want to say aloha. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Aloha.